Hi, welcome to Lambert Park Church. Our vision is life with God for the world. Our mission is to invite everyone to follow Jesus with us through redemptive community, intentional discipleship, and everyday mission. We're so glad you're here. Stay tuned for the podcast coming right up. All right, let's pray as we dive into scripture today. As we have said so many times before, Lord, by your grace, you have spoken the world into creation. It's by your word. You brought order out of chaos. It's in your living word, Jesus, that you have made yourself known to us. You sustain all things by your powerful word. And we ask today that in your grace, you would speak once again among us, to us, in us, by your spirit, through your word, in your community. We give you churches around our city, across the island, across our new time zone today, who are gathering like us, and in this moment, or already, or still to come, we'll be opening up your word to listen for your voice, and we ask that you would speak to your church today, in and among your churches all over, Lord. Glorify yourself not just in this moment, but far beyond it through what is shared and heard. Give us ears to hear your voice and faith to respond today. Amen. Okay, who forgot that today was daylight savings and when you woke up there was that sort of thing? Anyone? I've seen a few yawns. And Lucy's announcements were pretty good but there was still some yawns. And I'm not throwing that on her. I think some of us uh, are tired. We'll say it, there you go, it's simple, there you go. Um, all right, friends, uh, if you're just joining us today, we are uh, week four in a study called All Things New. Um, if you've been with us, it's been rich so far. I, I feel like God's been speaking to me, I hope to you. A study, the title's taken from Revelation 21, verse 5, where Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. And it's this hope and promise that Jesus would make all things new in us, in us, in you and in me, that we're exploring together in this series. And not just as a bonus extra for a few, but as God's desire for every one of us, for all of us, for everyone who will bow in faith to Jesus. It's what Jesus offers all of us in Matthew 4.19 when he says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He's an invitation that comes with a promise that Jesus will make us something we are not. I will make you renewed in the image of God which means becoming like Jesus. That's what we've been exploring. So over these weeks, we've talked about, we've heard the invitation, we've considered the vision of holiness, which is Jesus. We've talked honestly about our competing desires, the competing desires in us that hijack our pursuit of holiness, that apart from grace, yes, maybe we want change, but we don't actually want to be holy. We want other things more. We wanna keep our sin or we wanna keep our reputation And part of the pathway to holiness, as we talked about, is the Spirit's awakening us to this, 
to the barriers in us, revealing to us the truth about ourselves. And as we talked about last week, this is one of the vital works of the Spirit in all of us, awakening us to the reality of our own unholiness, and that this transformation that we long for and need is way beyond us, because it goes against our very nature, apart from grace, our sinful nature. In a very real sense, apart from grace, this whole series, this extended conversation and call to holiness could feel like the worst Christmas present you've ever received. You know the one. Some of us have had this experience. You, that one gift you so wanted. For me, when I was a kid, I so wanted what the other kids had, it felt like, which was those like drive-on, battery-powered, four-by-four things. You'd see the kids going down the road. The other kid had one. Maybe you had one. I didn't. <laughs> I so wanted it. You know that gift, the one you begged for, the one you maybe saved for to contribute? Maybe you made a PowerPoint presentation for your parents <laughs> about it. Has anyone ever done that in your family? My kids do that. <laughs> Olivia did one from England this year and sent it to us with live links to Amazon. It's that gift that you put all your hopes in, that new iPhone, that stylish heated travel mug that promises to fit perfectly in your car's cup holder, that remote control car, that new Xbox controller, or just a simple Tesla Model S Plaid, right? <laughs> and against all odds, it happens. The miracle happens. Christmas morning arrives and you get the gift and everything inside of you sparks with joy you throw out everything else you own. You're so excited. You're so full of gratitude and anticipated satisfaction until you realize it didn't come with batteries. <laughs> Those are the moments when the parents <laughs> feel it even more, right? All the hopes, all the anticipation, and it didn't come with batteries. And it's useless. It's just a really fancy, wrapped, expensive paperweight. You don't have any. All the shops are closed. Amazon doesn't deliver today. And even if it did, it doesn't matter because the world has run out of that kind of battery. That's the worst Christmas gift, right? Disappointment. Made all the worse by high expectations. Sometimes a sermon series can feel like this. So some of us feel. And so many Christians feel when we begin to talk about the call to holiness, to deep change in our soul, to growth in holiness, when we hear the rousing exhor exhortation of a passage like Romans 12, one and two, a familiar text, some of us grew up with it being touted to us at every youth gathering we went to. Romans 12, one and two, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For all the ways many of us love a practical, here's what you need to do, sort of passage like that, offering us some real how-to instructions, many of us feel like, eh, it's no use. 
because the batteries don't seem to be included, which means it's a powerless gift. It's Bob Newhart in that famous sketch of his in his counseling office saying, just stop, don't do it. Someone comes with their whatever and he says, okay, here you go, you paid your money. Stop it, that's his line, right? Stop it, which is so unhelpful <laughs> on its own because you've probably tried to stop it or to start it or to be it. But sometimes it feels like it's useless. First uh, Peter 1, 13 to 16, a passage we studied together last year in our long study in First Peter, the apostle Peter says, therefore with minds that are alert, and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed that is coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you have when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Hey, Caleb, be holy, just do it. <laughs> Bob, be holy. Just come on, come on. It's easy to hear that, and there's something in that that says, yes, we get this instruction, it's telling us what to do, and, and yet in the midst of it, many of us can feel like, thanks, but the batteries don't seem to be included, which means it's a powerless gift. That's how it can feel at times. I think we're far enough into this study to know that holiness isn't just something we can choose to do. To draw on a common biblical metaphor, a sick tree can't bear good fruit, even if we want it to. I've got a couple, I think, sick apple trees. I prune them every year as best I can, but it's getting worse. Because <laughs> a sick tree can't bear good fruit. Which makes passages like this feel, Romans 12, 1 and 2, 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16, feel unhelpful because they seem undoable, and with that then maybe even unkind. Unless, unless the gospel comes with the batteries included. And thank God, it does. A number of years ago, I was leaning into the call to holiness in my own life. I remember running to Luke chapter three. I wanted some counsel. I wanted some, some good direction for me. Uh, John the Baptist, Luke three, begins his ministry preaching a baptism of repentance and calling the gathering crowds to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And something in that uh, spoke to me. I, I wanted to walk in repentance. I wanted to turn from my ways. And I, I loved how John says, okay, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. I love the, the directionality with it, the concreteness of that, the, the, the specific ways that John gets down to this. So this isn't just this vague exhortation. It's something concrete that needs to be worked out. And so John, the people ask John the Baptist, what, what should we do? And he offers them some real specific, well, general counsel, we'll call it. Uh, Luke chapter three, verse 11. Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. But he doesn't stay general. Some people speak up. Okay, but what about me? There's a tax collector. There's a few tax collectors in the crowd, and they ask, okay, but what about us? 
And, and what does repentance look like for me? And John gives them some specific counsel for them. And then some others ask, okay, what about me? I'm a soldier, we hear. The soldiers ask, what about our situation? And John gives them some specific counsel because repentance isn't just an idea. It's not just, I'm sorry. It's a turning, a turning from and a turning toward. God has done something and we live into it. We take steps, real steps. And I needed that. In that season and again and again, in my pursuit of holiness, I need that counsel into real steps. It resonated with me. And it resonated with the crowd that day in Luke 3. It resonated with the crowd so deeply that we're told they began to wonder if John might be the Messiah, the one they've been waiting for, which is interesting because it tells us that, in, that for many in John's day, the coming of the Messiah, they had this deep conviction that the coming of the Messiah would mean the coming of true righteousness. Not just the overturning of the enemies, but the overturning of the enemies in them. That they would be sanctified, renewed in their lives, in their relationships. And in response to this, John the Baptist announces Luke 3, verses 16 and following. He says, I will baptize you with water, but one is more powerful, who is more powerful than I will come the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. Notice that Luke ends this last sentence by describing John's message about unquenchable fire, a Messiah who would come with unquenchable fire to burn up the chaff as good news. Luke literally describes it as gospel, which might surprise us. John's message could seem harsh. We might think, ooh, unquenchable fire, ooh, burning up the chaff. Sounds harsh, sounds heavy, sounds maybe ominous. Sounds like bad news, some of us might think. But I'll never forget for me, hearing these words years ago as I stood in a moment of grappling with my own unholiness and these words catching me as exactly what Luke describes them as, as good news. God himself coming to burn up the chaff in me. Good news for John's audience for that day, for Luke's readers decades later, for us today. Because at the heart of John's message and teaching was not just exhortation, but the glorious announcement that the gospel comes with the batteries included. God himself coming, not just standing over us saying, come on, get your stuff together. But God himself in grace coming into our lives as the gift of the gospel to take up residence in us, in all of God's people, and slowly but surely transform us from within, refining and purifying our hearts until all that is left is the goods, the chaff gone. I love how Eugene Peterson translates this in the message. He declares, John, has John declaring, I am baptizing you here in the river. 
The main character in the drama, the one to whom I'm a mere stagehand, will ignite the kingdom life, a fire, the Holy Spirit within you, changing you from the inside out. He is going to clean house, make a clean sweep of your lives. He'll place everything true in its proper place before God. Everything false will put out with the trash to be burned up. And I remember reading those words And again, I come to them now, and my soul breathes a sigh of relief as I stand in this place longing to grow in holiness and hear these words, something in my soul breathes a sigh of relief, of hope, of hunger, because this is what you and I need, is it not? This is the good news of the gospel not simply the revelation of God's glorious holiness, but the provision of God for a life of growing in holiness. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of holiness coming to live and work in us as we seek and follow Jesus through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 1 verse 2. I know I've said before, it seems crazy to me how long it was before I realized that there's a reason that the Bible speaks of the God's spirit as the Holy Spirit. We sang earlier, moments ago, Jesse led us in that song, the spirit is at work, come, have your way among us. And I wonder, when we sing songs like that, what are we expecting, what are we longing for? What, what are we thinking God would do if the spirit came? It is significant that throughout the New Testament, the Spirit of God is primarily described as the Holy Spirit. Not the happy spirit, though he brings joy. Not the peaceful spirit, though his presence brings peace in the restoration of relationships. Not the comforting spirit, though he is our comforter. But he is described, his name really, is the Holy Spirit. Or as Paul says explicitly in Romans 1 verse 4, the Spirit of holiness. Some of us at times, maybe who've grown up in the church, come to love Jesus, don't know what to do with the spirit, maybe have some fear even. In some church circles, there can be some fear of the Holy Spirit. What would the spirit do if I really gave myself over to the spirit? Whoa, I don't know if you wanna do that. Things might get crazy. He is the Holy Spirit. That is his fundamental aim and desire for us to draw us into the holiness of God's life in all of its goodness and beauty. The goal of our salvation is being rescued from a life of sin and alienation from God and restored into the life of God, restored into the holy life of Jesus. Then what more could we ask for but the Holy Spirit of God coming to live in us, unholy people? There's a mystery there, right? There's a shock there even. Some of us have lived for a long time believing that the holiness of God has to keep a distance from unholy things, and yet the gospel proclaims that the holy God, in the grace of the gospel, comes to live in us, cracked vessels that we are. In the grace of God, this is the gospel. As we surrender our lives, we bow to Jesus, we say, I cannot do this, I am not up for this. God, in all his radiant holiness, 
come to take up residence in us, to live and reign in us, that he might teach and empower us to walk hand in hand with him in his holiness, to accomplish in us what we are unable to do on our own. That's one of my professors used to say, you cannot live the Christian life. Only Christ can in you. And he does it by his spirit. This is what Acts 2, story of Pentecost, is all about. Many of us know the story. It's one of the high points in the New Testament. High points in the act of God, the work of God. But there's a story to Pentecost before Acts chapter 2, right? Pent- Pentecost, the Greek word, means 50 days. It's a feast that came 50 days after the Passover. And he write, says, to this day, Pentecost is observed in Judaism as the feast of the giving of the law. First comes Passover, the day when the Israelites leave their Egyptian slavery behind in Egypt. This is the Exodus, right? They celebrate the Passover in the moment of God rescuing the Israelites from their slavery and the idolatry and oppression of Israel. And God takes them out of their oppression and leads them through the Red Sea and into the wilderness on the way to the promised land, and they come to Mount Zion. Off they go through the desert, it says. I'll keep up with the script. 50 days later, they reach Mount Sinai. Moses goes up the mountain, comes down with the law, the tablets of the covenant, God's God's gift to his people of the way of life by which they are able to demonstrate that they are really his people. That's what Pentecost is all about, has always been all about for faithful Orthodox Jews. If we were to participate in the Feast of Pentecost with Jews today, we would find them, um, what's the word, processing with God's word at the head of the procession, celebrating the gift of God, the law, the holy law of God, the revelation of God, of his holy ways and how his people can live in his holiness. For the Jews, Pentecost was the the wildest feast, the greatest celebration, the gift of the holy law. And then we come to the New Testament. And at the Passover, Jesus offers his life on the cross. Jesus becomes the atoning sacrifices for the sin of the world. And three days later, by the power of God, he's raised to resurrection life. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus initiates a new exodus to deliver us from our oppression, from our idolatry, from our sin, opening the way for women and men to be forgiven of their sin, freed from their slavery, restored to life with God. And then 50 days later, on the Feast of Pentecost, as the Jews celebrate the giving of the law, the Father sends the Spirit, the holy life of God himself, the Holy Spirit, to come and fill the lives of Jesus' followers, to accomplish in them and in us what the law on its own is powerless to do, to accomplish in them and in us what they and what we are unable to do on our own, to lead us into the grace of God's holiness by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in us. Which is what God always promised. This wasn't a surprise. 
I mean, it was a surprise because it was fulfilled. It was happening. But it wasn't a surprise because this is what God said would happen. Ezekiel 36, verse 25 and following, it's one of, the, one of the many promises of this. God said to the prophet Ezekiel, I will sprinkle clean water on you. Imagine a people living in exile, living away from their, their holy land, their temple, all those things. It's all been ruined. They're in exile. They're in an unholy place. And God says to them, I will take you back from where you've been driven and I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. To those who know something of the sinfulness of their own hearts, there is no greater gift than the gospel, the perfect sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, his resurrection conquering death, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter two, Pentecost. Let me hear it, read these words for us. The people, the Spirit comes, and everyone can see it happening and they Peter stands up and preaches and explains this is what God has always said would happen God has sent his Messiah and you've crucified him but God knew it God purposed to use this as the atoning sacrifice and he's been raised and now he with the father has sent the spirit to give life to all who will bow to God and the people say what shall we do brothers what shall we do and Peter declares Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Friends, the longer we follow Jesus, I trust the more we come to be thankful for the gift of the Spirit. I would say that's the case for me. As I feel, I still, maybe even more than ever, 45, been following Jesus for a good while now, according to some of you. God got a grip on me as a kid, a 12-year-old, made me hungry to know him. I have fought my sin, I have failed. I have grown, I have failed, I have grown. I have sought him, I have drifted, I have been pulled back in. God has changed me. I am not the man I was 20 years ago, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, but I am still so aware that apart from grace, my heart is sinful, stupid, self-seeking, blind, ignorant. I turn from God. I deny his will, his ways. I think he doesn't know what he's talking about. I feel like I have nothing to offer, no way to change my story. I know more than ever what a gift it is that God has given me his spirit to come and dwell in me as I am and to make me new again and again and again.
to do in me what I am powerless to do on my own, to do in me what the law on its own is powerless to do. Without the Spirit, we are lost. But because the Spirit is with us, we can have hope. Hope for life, hope for growth in holiness. Every one of us. And our, what we need is to know and to trust and to celebrate the Spirit is here. As we seek to, to grow in holiness as followers of Jesus. Because despite what we may think at times or feel at times in the grace of God, the sanctification that we need does not rest primarily on our shoulders. It doesn't rest on yours. It's not all up to you. God is not saying, all right, bud, get it together. He is coming and sitting beside you. Not just sitting beside you, coming to enter into your life. That is the grace of the gospel. It is not an external transaction. I'll take your sin, here's forgiveness, and God stays over here. God comes and enters in. And this work, this longing, this need that we have to be made holy, our sanctification, is first and foremost his work in us. His work in us. The work of the Spirit. As the Apostle Peter, whom we heard before, who says in 1 Peter 1, 13 and 16, be holy. Remember I said that before we recorded that passage, be holy, because God is holy. The opening greeting of his letter, he declares to God's elect Exiles scattered throughout the provinces who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. I love the New Testament for its honesty. All the letters in the New Testament for their honesty declaring to us God has come, the Spirit has entered into your life. If you have bowed to Jesus, you have received the Spirit. No one comes to Christ apart from the work of the Spirit. No one comes to Christ without the Spirit coming and entering into your life. And yet still we will fight this battle against sin all of our lives and we know it. But we think, oh, if I have the Spirit, then I would be holy. If I had the Spirit, really had the Spirit, really, really had the Spirit, (laughs) then I wouldn't be the kind of sinner I am. And yet we read the New Testament, and what do we find? Paul declaring to a people, you have been given the Spirit by the grace of the gospel. He has come to live in you. And then he gives them exhortation. Why? Because there is still a journey in every one of us. But it is a journey that we walk not from home base. Sorry, first base, I'll say. (laughs) I'm making up a metaphor as I go, guys. That's not good. (laughs) But not from square one, not from emptiness. We are invited to pursue a life of holiness from a place of having received the Holy Spirit of God. This is our hope. Peter can call us. Paul, Romans 12, can call us to learn and walk in holiness. Why? Because he knows that if you are in Christ, then the power of holiness is in you. And not just the power, but the person. And maybe that's part of the distinction that we need to come again to. That the Holy Spirit is not just an impersonal power that we turn on, but a person that we enter into relationship with. 
that we learn to listen to, to trust, to rely on, to respond to. This is our hope for holiness. This is your hope for growth and holiness, not your wisdom, not your resolve, but the sanctifying work of the Spirit who is in you. Which doesn't mean that you are simply called to let go and let God, right? We've talked about this before. That is so, such a common motto, whether explicit or implicit. Some of us maybe have a button, a fridge magnet, let go and let God, if that's it. Get the Sharpie out, friends. It's common, it's not from Jesus. It's not from the Spirit. The call of Jesus is not, hey, I'm here, just let go and let God. It's come, follow me. Hey, you, I'm calling you, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus is incredibly clear in that invitation. He is the one that will change us He's not asking any of us to transform ourselves. He's not asking any of us to remake ourselves. He is the one who will change us. But we cannot just stand back and say, awesome, great Jesus, thank you. We gotta come follow him. The call into God's life, into his holiness, requires our living everyday response and is the same with the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Sanctification, growth and holiness is first and foremost the work of the Spirit, a work that the Spirit is eager to do in us. But we can't just stand back and say, okay, so do it. That is not what he calls of us. He invites us into an active participation with him, inviting us to learn to trust in, depend upon, and live in response to his sanctifying work. Paul describes it in Galatians 5, verse 25. He says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I love this language. Always brings to mind two people dancing. A waltz, a tango, a foxtrot, a rumba, a partnered dance, whatever it is. A partnered dance that we are invited into with God. That you are invited into with God. This is the Christian life. Not let go and let God, but come take my hand and let me lead you. Let me lead you, right? We don't partner as equals. God is the lead partner. That is what we are told. That is Jesus, come follow me. Not like, hey, let's just wander. Where do you wanna go? No, come follow me, Jesus says. The Spirit invites us to take his hand. Let's keep in step with the Spirit. We're not equal partners. He is, God is the lead partner. We're not in charge. Amen, yay. We're not in charge. It's not primarily about us and our, our resolve and our wisdom. He is the lead partner. But that doesn't mean we go limp. Have you ever tried to dance with someone and they just went limp? I think you'd call that a drag, <laughs> not a dance, right? Can you imagine? Come on, come on. <laughs> it's not, hey, go dance for me. God comes to us in Christ by the Spirit, invites us into his life. Come follow me. Come dance with me. Keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Our job is to open our hands and say, I can't do this. To bow our lives to God. To receive his Spirit by grace. We don't earn it. 
to receive, and then to learn to pay attention and follow. That's the way of holiness. To learn to be attentive and responsive to the Spirit. To learn to recognize and follow the Spirit's lead. To keep in step with the Spirit. Re, you're a singer. Listen to your YouTube recordings here and there. You usually sing the lead, don't you? And your brother sings harmonies to you? Do you do the harmonies sometimes? Part of harmony is, is, is this, right? Being a, a, a great other voice is your ears open. It's not, you know the song, yes, but there's nuance. There's a dance to the beauty of a lead and a harmony. That's the spirit. We, we read God's word and we learn the song. We learn how it works. We learn the structure, the movements of it. But then there's this living attentiveness to all oh, a harmony, a movement. And that's the path of holiness. It's coming and responding to Jesus' invitation who gives us a spirit and seeking to learn to keep in step with the spirit that he might take us where he wants to take us, how he wants to take us, when he wants to take us. Because he knows, Jesus knows he knows how to do this. That as we follow, as we learn, as we bow, as we repent, as we come again in faith, the Spirit would lead us into the dance of holiness. I'm gonna end there this morning. Next week, we're gonna get into, so what does it mean to keep in step with the Spirit? And we'll talk about that for the next few weeks towards Easter.